This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. You've heard of Facebook, right? Huge site, over a billion people visit it every day. But what's it like working there? I talked with this week's guest, product designer John Angelo, to find out. The most interesting thing about working at Facebook is just having a wide, diverse group of uh, people and experts all together uh, in one very very centric mission of like, you know, connecting the world's people and making it easy to communicate with each other and, uh, you know, and, and bringing the world, you know, making the, the huge world feel close together. Uh, this is my first time really working at a company uh, in that sense that has such a united theme or, or mission uh, with so many different components and experts working toward that exact same mission. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Little Bird Innovation is looking for a design associate for their Memphis office. We also have job listings from indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for our weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. More than 10 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. No other email service provider is better when it comes to both functionality as well as customer service. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it. That's where Hover comes in. Hover makes it super easy for you to find the domain name that you're looking for and get it up and running with no hassle and no heavy-handed upselling. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use our promo code REVISIONPATH and you'll save 10% off your purchase. Speaking of saving money, we've got another sale going on in our store this week. So starting on Thanksgiving, you'll be able to save 15% off everything in our store and get free shipping when you use the promo code 2016OMG. That's 2016OMG. I'll have a link in the show notes for that also. And a little birdie told me that there may be some new designs in the store just for this sale. So you might want to really check that out. Again, 15% off plus free shipping. Offer ends on November 28th. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So we're up to 40 patrons, which is a new patron record for a new total of $266 per month. Again, thanks to all of you who have pledged your support and your appreciation for the show. It really means a lot, really helps keep things going here on a regular basis. If you enjoy what we're doing here at Revision Path, if you enjoy the guests that we have on the show, or if you've gotten any value from listening to the interviews, please consider becoming a patron. You'll get some great perks like early access to future episodes, 
free revision path goodies, as well as access to our patrons only podcasts. So just head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels start at just $1 a month and it's a great and affordable way to support the show on a regular basis. Now let's get on to this week's interview. Our month of interviews at Facebook headquarters continues and this week's guest is product designer John Angelo. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is John Angelo and I'm a product designer at Facebook. Um, I lead the news product, the Facebook news product. And uh, before that, I um, I, uh, I worked at YouTube on, under Google and uh, led a couple of design efforts there, um, ranging from a variety of different video immersion related uh, um, topics. And um, my specialty is interaction design, um, particularly in bringing emotion into design and basically you know, creating happy emotions in the products that you're using. Um, it sometimes will vary from one end to the other end of the scale and that sometimes his mission is getting people on and off in application as quickly as possible, getting them the, the content they want and allowing them to jump off efficiency basically. And then the other end of the, of the spectrum is keeping people on an application and making them enjoy that experience and wanting to be on it as much as possible. So those are things I focus on and the thing, my passion in this is just making people happy through their experiences. So we'll go more into, of course, what you did at, at Google and YouTube and of course about interaction design um, let's talk a little bit about at least what you can talk about, uh, your work that you're doing at Facebook. So you're working with Facebook News, is that right? That is correct, yes. Did you choose to work with that department? Yes, definitely. That uh, Facebook News is the reason I came over to Facebook. It's uh, my favorite topic or genre of uh of, uh, of apps and features. And um, I'm a news junkie myself on my app right now. I'm, I'm sorry, on my phone right now. I have uh, at least 40 applications that relate to news. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I, I'm a regular news junkie. However, despite that, I, I have not come across too many, uh, any really perfected or, you know, no real sense of perfection ever really, but uh, a news app that I'd rate a 10 exactly. And so since, you know, there's a lot to be desired from news in general, not just in the app space itself, but sometimes in the way it's presented in an article, I felt it was a great opportunity to do something that um, I would enjoy one and something that I feel can make a huge impact in terms of informing the world in a, in a way that, you know, uh, might be interesting. Uh, for example, um, you know, I, I didn't want to just tell people a story. I wanted to pe- put people into a story. And that's uh, kind of what I where I've been centering my efforts into um, uh, complete story immersion to get people to feel what events are like. Let's say it's a a protest going on in Charlotte. Put people in that protest. Make them feel the news as opposed to just reading about it. So you have over 40 news apps on your phone, which is a lot. (laughs) So because of that, I'm sure you know or you've, you've had a lot of interactions, I should say, with these apps and things. What is it that you like and what is it that you don't like? about news apps yeah so um for one it's it's uh it's discoverability um it's it's, it's something that um is a challenge a lot, a lot of times um you know uh, occasionally an app will you know make the you know great experience of you know helping uh, allowing the user to pick what sources and topics they want to uh read but you know after that sometimes things may get lost you you may let's say the picker might be like oh are you into fashion and then you get a little bit too much fashion to the point where it's like oh this is overload (laughs) and you know and uh and then in term and also the ability to just give you digestible chunks of things sometimes you don't really have the time in your day to you know to uh to read an entire article or you know you just want to you just want to experience the application in, in chunks and get the most out of it 
also uh, things like sentiment uh, or uh, experiences, I think, are great uh, in these circumstances. And for a lot of people, what they come to articles for in the first place, they want to hear and feel what other people feel about that same topic in, a, uh, in the easiest way as possible. Um, and so uh, that and many other things um, are uh, reasons that I uh, got involved in this project and, and uh, you know, what inspires me about this uh, particular mission. So interaction design, for those that are out there that are listening, can you explain just a little bit about what it is? Yes, yes. I could do that all day. <laughs> <laughs> interaction design is basically how you, how, how experience feels as you're using it. Um, it's, you know, it's, uh, not always about aesthetics, you know, as you know, people, I tell people I'm a designer, I'll say, Oh, what do you design? Are you, do you do the YouTube logo? What do you know in the, in the past and, and whatnot? And, you know, and, and, uh, and, and even people inside the industry will often confuse interaction design with motion design. Um, but no interaction design is basically what the experience is like from a flow to flow basis, basically as you open up an app or, or anything, even if you're interacting with a, uh, a door, you know, the interaction of like, you know, the, the push and pull affordance, basically this notion of affordances and, uh, and, you know, how you access or do something uh, on, uh, on an experience. And so interaction design is centered around just making something feel well as you're using it. And what about that in particular got you interested? I mean, there's so many different types of design. Yeah, it started from frustration, really. Uh, you okay. know, one of my earlier moments, I always try to pinpoint to what started getting the interaction design gears flowing in my mind. And uh, I was thinking about this actually uh, on the way to to uh, to meet with you. I, I think my earliest experience of it was with uh, my switch in the '90s from uh, from Mac to Windows. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I love Microsoft for different reasons for uh, lots of different products. But you know, going from you know at that time, my family Mac. I remember my dad brought in a compact, and uh, so my first experience with Windows was Windows '95. I remember having lots of frustrations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, why does this not feel well? You know, a lot of it, <laughs> it too can be, you know, brought into like, you know, you, or you learn computing a certain way and, you, you know, you have to like, you know, deviate to a different method. But some were legitimate uh, issues, you know, and, and usability that I felt weren't being re really focused on and on that particular platform at the time. And, uh, you know, it was frustrations like that, that, that got me into it. Another one that I can point to is video gaming. I'm, a, a, you know, more, more thin than now, but, uh, a hardcore gamer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, every time I get frustrated and usually where I get frustrated in video games is in the setup process when you're just trying to get to the game, you know, uh, and I feel like this is something that's actually still spiraling the wrong way. Like you, you know, open up your Xbox, you know play a game and like you know five hours later you might be playing a game after like updating and mm -hmm. you know and like navigating through uh you know constantly changing uh set of patterns um and they always just hearken to the old days where you're just popping the game and it's like da -da 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 -da, start you know yeah, <laughs> and i'm not yeah. playing you know it's so rare that so, it happens yeah. now yeah very rare very rare that it happens and, and so it's just frustration points with that that made me start thinking about so it's like why is it so good and, and, and identifying companies who are doing a great job at it at the time to me it was nintendo not perfect but you know at least they you know when when there wasn't an instant load they did a great job at conveying emotion to make um uh to make that experience feel well uh, so that's what got the gears rolling and, and got me thinking about interaction design it just was unfortunate at that particular time in the 90s that the term interaction design or even to some degree the term ux wasn't really used and so i kind of had to force that path a little bit i that one of the hardest decisions i had to make was going into college about what i wanted to major in because i started designing very early i started programming taught myself how to program back in high school 
Um, but I wanted something that could like help me learn more about what I, the mission I wanted in design, which is helping people enjoy things a little bit better. And so, you know, then it was like, OK, should I go into psychology? Should I, you know, I, 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 you know, I veered into cultural anthropology. Uh, and and so that, you know, that uh, those experiences help, you know, form uh, my entry into this field. And then I was just delighted to you know, see the growth in the field over the, you know, over the early 2000s, especially after the iPhone came out, it, it, it just became incredible from there. And now let's talk a little bit about some of your, your early days. Again, we're going to get to talking about Google and YouTube, of course, but um, your early days, you were a military kid. So you grew yes. up kind of all over the world. Where, mm-hmm. where did you live? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, was, I was born in Gary, Indiana. Yeah. Woo-hoo. <laughs> and when I was five years old, uh, uh, my family moved to Japan, um, and where in which I spent the majority of our time, uh, particularly Okinawa, Japan. Um, and uh, I, I live in Okinawa. Uh, we would leave and, and uh, spend time since in North Carolina, where I live in North Carolina. And then we go back to Okinawa again, and then we go back to North Carolina again, and then we go back to Okinawa again. But uh, it's a lot of those two places. Uh, and then I also uh, studied in Italy, and uh, then I started missing Japan a whole lot, which is strange because uh, there was a time when I was growing up in Japan where I just wanted to be off the island of Okinawa. I like Okinawa, but it's a very tiny place, and you get that island fever where you just want to leave. And then I, you know, I remember going to study um, uh, cultural anthropology and international relations in Italy, and uh, just missing Japan so much, and wanted to get back there and, and complete my studies there. Um, and then from there, I, uh, I launched into Washington D.C., uh, started my official career. Uh, post-college career in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., and then to the West. And now were you doing UX work in D.C.? Yes. Yes, I was. Yeah. Now, uh, in the earlier days, it wasn't really classified as UX work. <laughs> I started off uh, as an e-learning designer, uh, designing e-learning modules, uh, and uh, uh, that phased into being a user interface engineer, I believe was the title, or user interface developer. And... Uh, and then within a matter of uh, a few years, the UX industry got big and prominent in, in that sense. Uh, and terminology still, you know, was a little slow while I was in D.C., but, you know, at least the term came about where I can actually really do, you know, use the full gamut of um, things I wanted to do to build, you know, the way I, you know, felt was, you know, effective for users. From there, when did you first get your start at YouTube? Um, so I uh, started YouTube. Uh, it, was a, it was a long uh, path. Uh, it, it, started, it started off my first uh, recruiting by Google uh, God, back in 2006 or seven. I think it might have been 2007 where the, uh, you know, the suggestion came about. And, um, you know, I, I was as much as I wanted to be in California, uh, I was reluctant because of, you know, the relationship. And then I'm in, uh, you know, and uh, um, of leaving D.C. for that reason. So I, you know, kind of held back for a few years. And then finally, after coming to California for a different reason to work for Autodesk, um, I, um, you know, the, uh, the company came back at me about uh, certain, you know, things. I, I did a lot of uh, blogging at that particular time about user experience and how to create great uh, video experiences and was working a lot in that at Autodesk. Um, you know, they came and, and uh, mentioned the position and what they had in mind for the role. And I, I ended up joining after all those years of, uh, of talking to them. And so um, it, w- it was great because uh, YouTube, uh, you know, was my favorite product, um, like literally in technology. Um, because, uh, you know, I learned so much myself from YouTube and that was my community. I, you know, as I was telling you, I, I didn't really have a community, uh, design community, um, uh, in the early half of my career, especially not growing up. 
uh, and, uh, you know, worked independently a lot. So when I learned a lot or when I was inspired a lot or when I did my lectures in those early times, those via YouTube, um, uh, at least after 2006. And, uh, and so I, you know, I, I love, I love the mission. And so I ended up joining and uh, I'm working on, um, uh, products that kind of helped, uh, expand, uh, the notion of, um, you know, allowing people to experience things, um, from wherever. So, uh, you're, like you said, military brat kind of grew up, you know, different parts around the country. Do you feel like those different experiences, not around the country, around the world, I should say, do you feel like those different experiences really shaped you majorly, as a designer? Majorly. How so? Yeah, majorly. It, you know, the the greatest blessing uh, that uh, the military lifestyle provided, which I didn't realize growing up, at, you know, until like way later on, it was somewhere around college where I started realizing this was the uh, gaining, uh, learning from lots of different perspectives. And it just so happened that the countries that I primarily, you know, was in and lived in were like, couldn't possibly be any more different than each other, you know, states to Japan, you know, and Italy being somewhere in between and, you know, in certain aspects of the culture. Um, it, it helped me to appreciate and, and, and learn to talk to people about their cultures and, uh, and, and learn from them. And, 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 uh, and with design, I, I, am able to gain uh, and, and use those perspectives to create more universal centric designs. Um, just the design culture in general in Japan was, you know, let's say back to my early years and the website years were, um, were very different. I mean, if you notice your average Japanese site is very textual based and, you know, imagery and, and, you know, a lot of the visual gimmicks and, and I hate to use the word gimmick, but like, you know, visual um, marketing techniques and whatnot that are used in a lot of Western sites aren't really used there, or at least not at that time. Um, and, uh, you know, so it gave a different perspective, a perspective of design that was centered around information architecture. Um, and uh, that was uh, very pivotal to a lot of those, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, interfaces I was designing, especially in government or oh, everywhere, really, but uh, especially in government at, at that particular time. So um, and then Italy gave me a totally different design perspective uh, than, uh, than even Japan. And probably I learned the most. Uh, during that particular part of time, and you know, and 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 that's when I start being uh, in a major way inspired by things beyond you know just graphical design, you know, like um, industrial design and and in fashion and things of that sort, and being able to harness those different types of design into um, UX design. Do you have a specific philosophy as a designer? Yes, yes. Make people enjoy what they're using. Uh, is the biggest thing. And it sounds so basic. It is very basic, but it's one of those things that I, I feel gets, uh, doesn't get as much attention as it should, uh, you know, uh, and that, you know, you'll often see a lot of beautiful, aesthetically beautiful interfaces that don't really, you know, draw any emotion of happiness. And it's just like, oh, this is nice. And they don't end up um, really lasting or being, you know, uh, in, in, the, in the mindset of your average user, because it's just like, you know, this isn't doing anything for me. This isn't stirring any emotion. This isn't, you know, making me happy. This isn't, you know, putting me in the mood of what I opened up this application to do. And so my mantra is, um, in addition to minimalism, because I'm a big fan and student of Deuteroms, um, but uh, is uh, conveying as much emotion as possible in your designs, making people really enjoy what they're on. And, um, and I think that goes a long way. These days, your average, you know, um, user of, you know, uh, mobile phones are using less than 10 applications on their phones, whereas it's hard to detach from that being, in, you know, in a, in a techie world, sometimes we're getting to that mind state and that like me personally, I just check my, uh, my about menu, uh, menu and my, uh, and settings and I have 980 applications on my phone. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At some point my phone's going to give up on me and just be like, no, no, wow. no more. 
but 980 applications. So, you know, it's far removed than the average circumstance uh, situation. And, uh, and you know, you know, people choose a small set of applications and, and stick with them. So you got to, you know, make experiences that people come to, uh, when it comes to regularly, people don't toss aside and, you know, and more importantly, come to you on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, creating habits out of it. And that, in my opinion, can only really be done by tapping into their emotions. Now, when you say kind of tapping into your emotions, does part of that sort of involve psychology or or how does how does that really work when you're trying to do it? Is it yeah, do you use color theory or yeah, talk, talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, so almost all of it involves psychology and uh, color theory uh, factoring in, but more, more so interaction psychology in terms of, um, you know, doing the little tiny things to make you happy. Like, let's say, for example, the new uh, Facebook reactions where, you know, you uh, you have this this ongoing uh desire from people for years so like oh, i wish there was a di- dislike button on facebook mm-hmm. you know I, you know wish there, you know there are other ways to convey you know respond to things outside of commenting and liking and uh you know and uh things like reactions creates that emotion like you know you know we're, like, we're gonna give you more than what you asked for we're gonna give you liking or the ability to, to laugh or the ability to you know to cry or to you know, express you know anger but in a way that for one, that makes you feel good, you know, um, and uh, and doesn't make other people feel good in that process. There's just so many great ways through interaction to uh, interaction design to to uh, to do that sort of thing, or even the tiniest things like, okay, it's your birthday today on an application, so you know, raining down confetti. It makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. There are things that, like, you know, by the book, you know, or by technicality, may may be ignore, ignored if you're just following very specific objectives, you know, uh, driven down to you. But when you add those little tiny elements of psychology into your design, it creates that allegiance and that happy feeling that makes people want to come back the next day, makes people feel that you're not just dealing with a machine, you're dealing with like a personal assistant of sorts. Mm -hmm. And, And that's the best way, in my opinion, to design well from an interaction standpoint is to pretend that what you're designing is a person that's going to be working with the person that, you know, is using the application you know, create something that that's effective and connects with the person, not just as, you know, in a, you know, in a, in a butler type of way all the time, but, you know, sometimes in a, in a friend type of way. It's like, okay, we're, you know, we're helping each other. What do you think a designer really needs to know in 2016 this year to be successful? It can be certain soft skills, certain hard skills, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. In terms of hard skills, uh, prototyping. Prototyping is the big, uh, big thing, and and not being intimidated by the word prototyping. Because every you know time I bring this up and I try to teach this, people are like, oh my god, I you know code the no- notion of code just scares me. And and it was not even necessary, really. You know, uh, the, the you know coding and and, and and the type of prototyping I'm conveying. Uh, prototyping, especially when you're working with developers, to convey what you're what you're trying to uh, express and and that you know in, in ways that static mocks just can't do. You can use any application that you know that doesn't involve coding if coding is intimidating. Um, by that sense, and oftentimes is frankly not even really needed. The you know the biggest examples of you know code centric prototyping apps like you know Framer and whatnot. While great, I, I I use it personally and I enjoy it. Is you know you can do those a lot of those same things enough to convey your meaning. And once like Plinto or Principle or Hype or uh, you know uh, you know endless or even Keynote, you know uh, just prototyping it uh, because you know especially in this mobile world, it's always easier to express, you know, or even, you know, to developers or even to yourself, you know, the experience you're trying to create if you're, you know, using a living, breathing element to do so. So what tools do you use? Oh, a, a, a ton. Um, uh, I, will, I, I go back and forth, but primarily I say my tools of choice uh, for just raw design is Sketch. Um, Flinto is a favorite. Hype was a favorite for a couple of years now. Um, while working at YouTube, I, I use hype uh, like crazy, mostly because of the video um, capabilities of it and whatnot. 
um, origami. Um, and I do a lot of coding still. Like I, you know, I started my early earlier years as more of a uh, user experience engineer by by uh, just the way the industry was at that particular time. There weren't a lot of just core, you know, UX designers at the time. So I kind of felt I had to learn to um, to harness both both of those things together as more of a front end engineer of sorts to survive during that particular era. But uh, so I still code by force of habit sometimes. There are often oftentimes where I'll you know kind of dive in and actually you know. Um, uh, do that as my way to kind of, for one, convey the meaning and two, kind of help out the development team in situations, you know, um, where it's, you know, helpful. And do they appreciate that? I know sometimes dev and design teams can kind of be a little yeah, yeah. standoffish. In my experience, always, uh, you know, I, I, always. No, the reverse isn't always appreciated, but from some de designers when develop, you know, devs step in and, you know, give a lot of, uh, you know, forceful design uh, critique. And I, I do wish... Um, uh, the culture of design was, you know, was a little bit more um, uh, flexible to that, you know, to hang those out because, you know, just like, you know, the people that you're interviewing in user interviews, developers, you know, have, the, you know, a great insights into what you're doing. But, you know, and from my experience with working with developers, uh, developers have always, I've never had the developers say, wow, you, you know, you, you, you know, this coding for me. I, you know, I, I don't like this. No, that, I, I usually greeted very well. Um, I, I can't really think of a single circumstance where it has, and it's, you know, it's been helpful. Sometimes it's great to be that, middleman in between your design and design and development to help you like implement exactly you know what you design and you know into code and that's my always been my biggest pet peeve is designing this incredible experience and uh you know and and you know and not just really working out that well when it's developed and coded so sometimes that uh that can work as a um great uh, in between depending on the structure of the organization or the amount of resources you have available in the ux engineering space how do you approach a new project like say doesn't necessarily have to be something for Facebook, but if it's a new project you're working on, what do you do to kind of get in the swing of it? What do you do? To oh, I love that question. Yeah. So I am a big fan of the competitive analysis. I, and this is actually how I learned. So it's a force of habit of how I learned. I learned how to design by looking and finding the best example of whatever it is, mm -hmm. like the absolute best example, and then building off of it. Uh, for example, let's say, you know, people, you actually average person, what's the best, like, you know, uh, mobile OS and, um, you know, not, yeah, yeah. Don't want to add any biases, but I mean, I'm guessing most people would probably say iOS. So, like, you know, what is iOS? iOS is a broad example. Maybe I should use something a little bit more, uh, or more small, but like, whatever it is, let's say, you know, what is the best sports experience? And the person says, Bleacher Report. You know, uh, and it's like, okay, I'm going to take a look at, you know, I, the, what I come in to do is to take a look at why people like Bleacher Report by asking them, by, you know, reading reviews. And, and also why people, you know, what tiny things people might have with Bleacher Report. Uh, and, you know, and, and so starting from what people consider to be the best in that particular topic and just uh, adding every single issue they have to it and to the point where you pull it from lots of different uh, uh, competitors, the, the best of them and assimilate it into something that's awesome and then add your own magic over top, add your own emotional experience over top, which is something that nearly no one does really uh, in a major way. And uh, and then from you know to, to me that's a great starting point. So I, I draw from, a lot from uh, competitive analysis and uh, and then most importantly talking to users along this process. And I, I incorporate those two things together. I very rarely actually do the competitive analysis these days by myself. I typically will just like you know do a focus group or, or some sort of uh, user experience. Uh, I'm sorry, a user research uh, mechanism to see what people think about those you know those top apps and hear from them directly. You know what they like about it and what they don't like about it, and use that feedback to create the best thing possible. Are there any other like designers or artists out there that you really admire that you look up to? Yes, yes. Um, my uh, if I 
as the way as uh, touched to my design style, I have to say Deirdre Roms is probably the most influential. Um, uh, his ten principles. Um, Johnny Ive is an obvious one um, uh, that I uh, of a designer that I like. Uh, I love Mateus uh, Duarte. Um, his um, uh, WebOS design just inspired so much for me in terms of patterns and you know magic, emotion, inspiration. Uh, you know when making the transition from uh, to learning you know mobile design um uh and many others uh, uh mike mattis uh there uh and uh and you know and, and lots of people out, out, outside of you know user interface design and even figures that don't really you know traditional figures in design like i mean you know like uh you know leonardo da vinci and uh even things that you know steve jobs upset over time uh you know just people who are design and uh and product people minded in the way they think about what they build uh, those are people that kind of um, stand out to me and help me drive my own design principles at, at times. You know, people who focus very strongly on making people feel connected to things. Is there anything in particular that you're excited about at the moment? Like maybe something you're working on, maybe something in your personal life, anything like that? I'm excited about the focus uh, that I'm seeing a lot in this area on accessibility. Um, I have a daughter um, with Down syndrome and uh, just seeing her interact with applications and just regular, you know, uh, items on a day to day, you know, you know, uh, often uh, disappoints me in terms of, you know, the way things are, you know, um, certain things like uh, aren't designed uh, uh, with uh, disabilities uh, taken into account. And so I, I'm really excited about the focus that I'm seeing um, uh, in accessibility. Um, and uh and just general universal design uh that really inspires me and also i'm very very excited about augmented reality mm. uh, you know i uh admittedly not as much about virtual reality but augmented reality is just something that i've spent so much so many years exploring uh and uh you know and, and fantasizing about in terms of like the tech you know the hardware to make some of these you know um interfaces that i'd love to build possible you know um uh, yeah, I think that could, could be the perfect segue to having technology that's not intrusive, but that, you know, actually helps connect us a little bit better in certain ways and definitely for efficiency. I'm just imagining a world where, you know, you could be walking down the road and instead of trying to, you know, determine what's around a corner, an overlay comes ab above and tells you what's around a corner or tells you where the cells are if you're like in a shopping center or it tells you where the best, you know, uh, show, you know shows you the food or a restaurant in a particular square, you know, and, and uh or, or if you're looking for your friend in the crowd, I remember being at the uh, inauguration uh, a few years ago and not being able to find my friends legitimately because <laughs> there's so many people, which is a delightful problem. But, you know, that's when I start, you know, imagining this notion of overlays, like, you know, having, you know, something to, you know, augmented reality overlay, like, uh, you know, uh, over top of, you know, um, life to tell you, okay, your friends are right here. Here, I'm going to guide you directly to them you know, all the way to, you know, to them, you know, and, and things like that. So I, I'm really excited about that. Um and it seems like uh, it by itself is just launching a new era of something to uh, look forward to in our industry because I, I do feel like in, in some ways we we had a little bit of a, uh, a stalemate in innovation for a few years um, uh, where things got a little little boring in some respects. But um, I, I, I see things ramping up and um, a lot, and that really excites me overall. What would you say have kind of been the particular high points of your career? I mean, would you say YouTube is kind of it, or, or what, what what would you say? Hmm. High points in my career. That's a very tough one. YouTube is close. Yeah, yeah. YouTube is probably uh, one of my high points. Um, another one for me is um, I, uh, since I started, have been obsessed about this mission of building 
a great resource for cultures, uh, people to learn about other cultures and, um, uh, and, uh, and language. I, uh, one of my biggest hobbies is learning languages. I love language. Um, from, you know, moving around a lot, I kind of like, you know, force myself to dive into that particular world. And, um, and I think through understanding language and, and culture, the world can, you know, I mean, it sounds very, <laughs> very meta a little bit, but the world can, you know, come together uh, a lot mm-hmm. better. You know, I think, you know, understanding, you know, breeds cooperation. And I think a lot of, you know, the world's issues are a result of people just not understanding each other's cultures. And so I've always wanted to build the ultimate tool for understanding culture. Um, and I, uh, one, my highlight, career highlight, I don't know if you can call it career highlight, but at least side project highlight was uh, coming up with a uh, great platform for doing that or at least a plan uh to build a platform to do that uh you know i I got discouraged a little bit along the way in terms of for one it was you know it's this notion of is this the best idea you know is highlighting cultural differences uh more helpful than like you know this notion that you know was getting into my ear about you know blending people together into one and i was like you know later on no that's crazy you know you definitely want to highlight but just do in a way that you know this makes everyone feel connected and so um that that was the highlight just you know coming just that ideation phase even if it didn't result in the startup that i wanted it to be just uh the fact that i you know just the notion of just talking to people i i became a cultural anthropologist for a bit in terms of talking to people about their cultures and what would help them be interested in other people's cultures and um uh and so uh that was the highlight just that just that 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 experiment and building that particular startup um set the groundwork to uh, thinking about design in a brand new way. And it, you know, benefited even my main career, uh, even in my experiences at Google uh, and, uh, and Autodesk um, and in government uh, a whole lot more um, when I started uh, working on those side projects, which is why I'm always a huge fan of side projects. It's my biggest advice from new designers is to do as many as possible, you know, do the things that you want to do. You know, I, um, I was inspired by something you were mentioning or someone else was mentioning in the interview that you did a while back about um, learning when to say no, you know, to projects, you know, like, you know, um, when, when people ask you to do things. But one thing that I would encourage for, for one, building your portfolio and just like just learning yourself is to build, you know, build a startup, even if you don't intend for it to be like next, next Facebook or Google or anything like that, mm-hmm. that you enjoy because you put the best work into things that you personally, you know, applications that you want to do. And, you know, it, it, you, your creativity tends to step up when you're doing things that you're interested in. And so I encourage designers to do that. Work on your own startup, even if you you know you don't really plan on doing too much with it, um, because it'll bring out the best in you. And uh, and hey, it'll look great on your portfolio. It, it, it makes for great uh, um, uh, case studies. What advice would you give to somebody that's kind of just starting out? Um, let's say they want to follow in your footsteps. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to them as a designer? The advice I would give for someone just starting out uh, would be to one um, learn as quickly as possible, uh, identify as quickly as possible the best um, designers and or applications so that you can know where the, you know, so that you can build a standard within yourself. One of the things I did was, you know, I, I, I uh, when I started was to seek out who's the best at this craft and how can I be like them? <laughs> and so I, I quickly uh, went about, uh, you know, identifying my mentors, who people who I wanted to design like, people who I, you know, products that I enjoy, you know, that's where the Johnny Ive thing st- stood in for me in terms of I enjoyed his products. I enjoyed the way they looked. I enjoyed the way they felt. Uh, and, uh, and so that, you know, then I began looking up, you know, everything I could about him and learning about his life and, 
and uh, and and all of that, and and who his influences were, and you know, I, you know, started learning a lot about, and that actually was the you know the gateway to learning more about Dieter Rams, and uh, you know, and you know, and uh, his inspiration, you know, and also like you know, um, how you know his passion or his uh, inspiration by Sony, or yeah, he was inspired by Sony. Sorry, I said that wrong, but um, yeah, um, I identify the best of uh, the best the best in your field, and identify mentors, and then also just dive right in. I, throughout my life, uh, one of the biggest challenges, hurdles I had to overcome is my own perfectionism. I would have a paper in front of me, a, no, a new notepad, and be afraid to jot something down in it because I wanted to have it all crafted on my brain before I did something. It's just like, I don't know how to even really describe it. Uh, you know, it's just like, ah, I, I want to start working on uh, designing this thing, but I just wanted to have it perfectly crafted in my mind before I even, like, you know, put the pen to the, you know, to the paper. But, you know, you just got to do it. You just got to do it. And once you actually start is when you get the, you know, the most of your, uh, your you know, um, uh, your, your best results and iterate, iterate, iterate. So just dive right in there. Um, work on anything. Don't wait around for someone to give you an opportunity or, you know, or to, you know, get the first job. Just work on whatever you want to work on and just, you know, trial by fire. Just just dive right in there and just try it. And, and also um, do something that I wish I'd done earlier, which is just like linking up to uh, design communities around you if, you know, they exist and they should, you know, uh, in most locations, unless you're living like dead smack in the middle of Indiana or something or some you know, tropical island. But uh, in that case, you know, that's what the Internet's for. What advice has stuck with you the longest? So the design advice that sticks most with me and kind of drives a lot of my uh, philosophy is uh, one by Alan Cooper, where which he said, uh, if we want users to like our software, we should design it to behave like a likable person. And um, I, I think uh, when I first heard that uh, that quote, it just it sparked a, a new in me, a new way of just approaching, you know, a mode of design. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and, and I just immediately start going back to the psychology books and, and you know, and, and, and using that, uh, using lessons there to kind of recraft the way I, I, uh, I viewed and, uh, and designed. Uh, and so that, you know, that's a major one for me. And I think that one that could be helpful if you keep that in mind as you're designing everything you do. So walk me through kind of like what a typical day like is for you, if that if there is a typical day. Yeah, yeah. I can't say that I have a, uh, a set routine. I always envy designers I come across who, you know, who have these routines that are so, uh, so precise. I wake up in the morning at 7 a.m. and I drink coffee and then I walk outside and watch the sunset or sunrise or whatever, which lets you know I'm not an early riser at all because I'm pretty <laughs> sure the sunrise is way earlier than that. But no, my, my typical day is all over the place, um, but it, it typically um, always involves me trying to gain some sort of inspiration via something I'm doing. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I, uh, I do drink a lot of tea and I will typically will uh, be drinking tea and just staring off into you know space. And then my eye will fixate upon something and I start thinking about, huh, I wonder why this was designed that way. And it gets the gears running for the day and, you know, kind of helps me launch in. Um, uh, and, uh, in terms of, uh, throughout the day, I'm not, I don't do a whole lot of sketching, uh, onto paper. Um, I, uh, part of this notion of just diving right in is that I typically design, uh, over my prototypes. Like I, I like I design in, you know, um, directly into, uh, whatever, uh, um, software I'm using for prototyping much of the time these days, just because, um, you know, interaction and emotions and, 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 uh, and all that, especially with mobile it's so important that I feel like you can't really, uh, it's, it's easier to, um, to convey the, uh, emotion and, and to design the emotion to things when you're actually just, you know, playing with it uh, on your device itself. 
Um, it also involves talking to a lot of people, collaborating a whole lot, making sure I, you know I'm uh, up a shared vision with uh, the PMs and developers and uh, different stakeholders on my team. So I do a lot of collaboration with people, um, and uh, and I do a lot of talking to my friends, and um, and that's really helpful. I, I typically do like a, a technically a user study every day when it comes to um, uh, using my friends to uh, to uh, you know gain perspective in their way train of thought when uh, using technology. So what do you think we can do to kind of get the next generation of designers excited about design? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. Um, for one. Um, Efficiency um, is, is one. I, I love that a lot of uh, companies, including ours, and we just recently pushed out a new uh, Facebook design um, a center, um, are uh, making a lot of their resources and, 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 uh, and sources available for people to use uh, to, to, uh, to help build that efficiency. Um, uh, the I think just the the trends that are going on in our industry with augmented reality and things like that are enough. You know, to, you know, it's like it's new. It's a new space. Even virtual reality for people very interested in virtual reality. It's a new space. They're on a lot of like just set patterns and set ways. Whenever there's something new, to me that's exciting. And, and just uh, you know, and, and and being able to be on the forefront forefront of creating something new, using you know some of the principles learned from other things, applying the ones that work, and talking to people and 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 kind of tinkering to you know determine the new ones that will work for this new technology i think that's exciting and i i think um from a diversity perspective uh you know things like what you're doing uh with, uh, with this uh podcast and uh this show is just i when i heard about this is so exciting because i would have loved to have a resource like this growing up i i you know i didn't have uh any uh you know any any uh inspirations of my culture to draw from from design at all like you know i um and uh, and so things like this, and and just knowing that this is a uh, becoming a very inclusive field uh, that values opinions and differences, and uh, and leverages all of that to create even better products. I think this next phase of design is just going to be the golden era for sure, um, because you're going to have you know lots and different perspectives building it together, and the more perspectives you have, and the more diversity you have, the better products inherently become. Where do you kind of see yourself in the next five years? What would you like to be working on? Huh. Yeah, that's a tough one. I, you know, I, um, I, I, I've always had this push and pull with myself about how far to dive into management. I want to stay hands on. I like staying hands on to things, and and even when you know leadership roles, you know, come about, I try to like maintain as much hands onness as possible because design is not a job to me. It is like my best hobby, my favorite hobby. Um, somewhere in between that and you know language and, and karaoke and a couple of other things but it's a huge hobby for me um so uh i just uh, see myself just you know working on um you know next generation uh experiences uh um whatever uh, you know i see fit as being the thing that needs the most help i tend to like to work on, work on things uh sorry i tend to like to work on things that have problems so that i can uh, fix my make those experiences better so if augmented reality for example turns out to not be a great experience for a lot of people see what i can do there to you know if i can help um uh advance that you know and uh you know and a lot of de developers in this area and this company in particular are like that mm -hmm. um so yeah i see myself just pushing hard at um at uh, helping connect the world uh, as, as much as possible i i see myself pouring out any uh you know, uh, I, ideas I had about uh, my, you know, my culture-related projects into uh, this company or other uh, efforts, uh, and uh, and and most importantly, I find myself I I, I uh, working with uh, accessibility a whole lot to uh, you know to help people like you know my daughter and 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 others uh, 
you know, also be able to leverage technology as best as possible, uh, despite, you know, whatever disability they might have, in addition to mentoring others. Uh, that's something that I would love to do more is write more. You know, I, um, I've been crafting this book for the longest time now, and I'm like a, a kind of a self-critic because every time, every stage I am in my career, I'm like, I'm not there yet. I'm not good enough yet. <laughs> I'm just not good enough yet. <laughs> even I was even, you know, reluctant to, you know, do things like this because I feel like I'm just not good enough yet. And I realize mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, like, nearly 20 years into, you know, into like designing as a whole and 10 years professionally. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I would like to just finally start like, you know, getting those ideas uh, collected and uh, so that I can be of inspiration to other people. Because, you know, even if you're not, you know, to the level that you want to be, you know, there's so much more help and inspiration you can give to other people and, you know, and, and, you know, helping pointing uh, uh, them into uh, the direction and helping them, you know, meet their goals and dreams. So that's something that I definitely plan to do as much as possible throughout these uh, next few years and uh, and hopefully get into a good groove (laughs) five years from now. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Sure, sure. You can find me. My website is johnangelo.com, J-O-H-N-A-N-G-E-L-O.com. I'm on Twitter, John Angelo. and uh, Instagram is just jangelo. And uh, yeah, and Facebook, you can look me up, you know, uh, facebook.com forward slash John Angelo. Sounds good. Well, John Angelo, thank you again so much for taking time out of your day. Uh, thank you for really kind of explaining a lot of what you do behind interaction design, like what that means, why it's important. I can really tell that you're a very thoughtful person behind a lot of this. I mean, you've given with a lot of time explaining a lot of these things. And I think that you're going to have a really good impact here at Facebook. I I certainly can tell based on, you know, kind of the work that you've done before that you are really excited and passionate about this. It's not just a job for you. This is something that is really kind of just baked into who you are. So thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate thank, it. Thank you for having me. I really enjoy what you do. And I, I look forward to listening to the rest of your episodes for the end of time. <laughs> Seriously. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to John Angelo and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about John and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as building tools like origami, sharing what they've learned on Medium, and by giving back to the design community. Learn more about Facebook Design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 10 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. Attitude may be playful, but their business is serious. Sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domain names. Just search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there. Ready to get started? Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by R.J. Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do me a huge favor. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show by bumping us up in the iTunes rankings for Design Podcast. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. 
If you like the work that we're doing with the podcast and with the website, then please visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Buzz Level started just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Happy Thanksgiving.